0: And welcome to the Morse Force. My guest is Karen Strawn. Karen, you've uh, how are you? Nice to I'm, see you. Also, I'm good. Also a YouTuber um, and someone who has uh, written about and talked about uh, feminism and the men's rights movement, and um, has become somewhat of a spokesman on the topic. Karen, I got a press release from from someone uh, about you. We you specifically talking about this. Um, I guess you might call it this men's fight club or what what is it it's um
1: it's a uh, feminist a, fight club
0: feminist fight club and by the way your your site is a voice for men dot com so
1: well that's that's not my site that I'm a contributor to them uh, contributor. but uh, so i'm I'm affiliated with them but uh if you want to you know see me and my stuff, uh, I would suggest going to my youtube channel
0: which is uh, girls rights what is girl rights what okay so um what what's the deal with the feminist fight club?
1: Oh, you know, I think honestly, it's it's uh, just your standard assertiveness training. Um, but they have sort of wrapped the entire thing of standard assertiveness training into uh, this patriarchal paradigm of oppression of women, and you know, standing up and smashing the patriarchy and and all of those things. Now, you know, I'm perfectly happy to see women, I actually think it's a good idea to see women getting assertiveness training, um, because uh, men in general are just more assertive than women are. Um, but when you wrap it in all of this sort of resentful um, resentful rhetoric uh, regarding men, so, you know, some of the topics are you know how to deal with mansplaining how to deal with man interrupting, and Mm -hmm. and uh you know take a masculine power pose right to boost your testosterone levels which actually is a thing um when you stand up straight with your shoulders back and you um impose yourself on the space around you it it does actually boost your androgen levels and uh, makes you feel more confident right so you know all of these things are sort of non-controversial in terms of teaching certain behaviors stick up for yourself uh don't let people put you down um essentially you know tell them let me finish what i have to say uh things like that um but i think that the rhetoric that it's wrapped in is really harmful and it, it's antagonistic toward men so
0: interesting because as you say the things we're talking about here are basic common sense Things that one should teach women and men, for that matter, how mm-hmm. to be heard, how to assert yourself, um, how to uh, develop a strong core identity, and then be able to convey your ideas com- properly and in a way that can influence people around you. And uh, and by the way, I think that young men are also taught to pull their shoulders up, you know, and assert themselves and look people in the eye and you know the strong handshake. I mean, these are things that both women and men it's not you know the, the it's basic good training in terms of becoming a strong individual but uh, but as you say i think that they they're putting it into this dialectical context
1: mm-hmm. where it
0: has to be a fight there has to be you know the thesis is is um women empowerment and the antithesis is that men somehow are standing in the way of that which yeah. may or may not be true in individual situations it may even be true societally, but it's really beyond um, helpful if you go to approach that fact by antagonizing and, and, and basically putting down men. you know the the, the better approach and, and I see the same dialectic in things like issues of dealing with racism. I mean it's mm-hmm. the same thing you know rather than talk about how to become take a piece of the American dream and become an independent person. Who's, who's developed and who's self-actualized, you have to hate Whitey, you know, it's yeah. like that, that they did something to you, and, you know, which may or may not be true, but that's not really the better approach to dealing with it. All that does is sow resentment, and it basically weakens you in the final analysis.
1: Yeah, I think you're right there. You know, taking on responsibility for your own issues um, and, you know, taking an individual self-improvement approach Um, because you're not going to change the world of business. And this is one of the things that feminists have essentially, that's one of their pet projects is to, you know, make business, make industry, make all of, you know, the, the entire public sphere, more women friendly, um, which means kinder, gentler, more nurturing, more, you know, more hugs, you know, unless they, you know, they can be construed as sexual in which case, you know, like that's off the table now. Um, so but I don't think that um, that you're ever going to be able to change the hierarchical nature of large organizations. It's just not possible. Um, when you remove the hierarchy, when you remove um, the structure, the structural nature of those organizations, all you have left to rely on is how much people care about each other. And I'm sorry, but I don't. I just don't care about that guy on the 15th floor who I've never met as much as I care about the person at the desk next to me. And I don't care about the person at the desk ne- next to me as much as I care about my family, right? And so there are, there is a hierarchy of, of the ability to care about other people as well, um, an internal hierarchy. And once you remove the artificial structure, I guess the, the larger superstructure of uh, practices within an organization and the sorting of individuals into roles, um, once you get rid of that, all you're left is with is this um, extremely unreliable, uh, I guess, uh, human capacity for empathy, right? And y- you're just not going to see functional organizations uh, right. if, if you do that.
0: Which, by the way, isn't really real anyways. And it's sort of, I mean, I've interviewed Christina Hoff Summers in the past, who wrote an excellent book called Who Stole Feminism, where she talks about equity feminism, which is sort of, equal you know, equal pay for equal work and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, opportunity, equal opportunity, which is something I think we all support, and what she called gender feminism, which is mm-hmm. uh, what we're kind of talking about here, which is uh, this desire to essentially make everything uh, equal almost in a left-wing kind of a way, like a communistic collectivism, you know, right. take away the hierarchy and create like a, 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 co- a commune, basically, which yeah. is an artificial construct. The co- the hierarchy is something that's natural, and it is going to be a part of any any organization, private or public, I may add. Yeah. However, having said that, I think that the equity feminist position would be to try to promote women in the hierarchy, yes. try to get women to, which is, I think, a, a, a real benefit for women. You know, break through the glass ceiling of certain in- industries which don't have as many women because they're women, and and get talented, qualified, ambitious women, help them get into those industries by promoting that and help them rise up into the hierarchy. I say the same thing for African-Americans. You know, it's uh, it's not, the, the goal isn't to collectivize and end the hierarchy. The goal is to become part of the hierarchy, take over the hierarchy maybe, but, you know, do it given the existing system, which is natural and good.
1: Right, yeah, no, What what I would say to that is, you know, I, I would also go down to the level of the individual, right? You know, so not not promote women in, you know, per se, but uh, help women develop the skills that they would need to, to rise in those hierarchies. Because women do it. Um, the women who actually really want to do it and have the skills to do it manage to do it. It's just that there are other things that we need to take into consideration. So, Essentially, if uh, Catherine Hakim, she was at the London School of Economics, she found that um, four out of seven men um, describe themselves as work-oriented, whereas only one out of seven women describe themselves in that way. Now, you're not going to see as many, if this is the case, of how people describe themselves, what people's priorities are, you're just not going to see an equal number of men and women aspiring up that hierarchy because you give up so much of your life and your free time. And sometimes your privacy, if, if, you know, if you're going to go into politics or something like that, the amount that you have to give up in terms of just having anything remotely close to a normal life um, is, is enormous. Right. And there women are less likely to see the end goal of that as worth the, they're less likely to see the juice as being worth the squeeze. Right. So, Essentially, you know, and I see that, I have that, I deal with that every day in my life. I am sitting in my living room on my sofa right now. um, And that's where I'd really like to spend most of my time. Um, But I have to travel all the time now. I have to go and speak at events. I have to, you know, be up sometimes at four o'clock in the morning so I can be coherent by five so that on the Eastern seaboard during radio drive time Mm -hmm. Um, I can be interviewed, you know, and it's a huge imposition on my life that um, I see as worthwhile because of what I'm trying to do. But if it was just for money or something like that, if it was not for something that I'm passionate about, you know, I'd say, you know, go to hell. Like I, I, you couldn't pay me enough. You couldn't pay me enough to do it.
0: and, And this gets into this sort of agenda that I think is also prevalent in, Women's studies, and which by the way, now has, has has moved away from women's studies, it's now gender studies, which is you know all, you know something I think it's up to sixty five genders now, but that will get that's a separate subject. But the point is that it's this insistence that women and men have to be absolutely the same,
1: yeah,
0: um that they have to be absolutely equal, and that their differences in a sense between women and men is seen as, as a bad thing to to discuss, it's sexist. When, in fact, what you're describing is that um, women and men in many cases are different, in some cases not because women choose to do have the aggressive career, but mm-hmm. oftentimes, more oftentimes, the fact is that women do choose to be mothers and to be more involved in bringing up their children and, and do so by choice. And I think that often historically the feminist movement starting with Gloria Steinem back in the 1970s has denigrated that. They've denigrated motherhood. They've denigrated women who choose to to, uh, focus on bringing up their children Um, unless of course it's them. But you know, this is, um, you know, in, in a sense they're denying basic natural tendencies because men and women are different. And having said that, there's nothing at all wrong with, and if a woman choosing to have just an aggressive career and not focus on the children, if she can afford to do it, and and there are men who want to stay home with the children. I mean, I exactly. was very involved in bringing up my child. I mean, this is not unusual today. and That's fine, but you know, in a sense, they want to obliterate those, but by, by throwing up the baby with the bathwater, so to speak, they want to obliterate those differences, and it goes, it goes to this kind of collectivist outlook you know that everybody is de facto equal everybody has to be equal and the things that make us different are somehow biases or they're bad or they're seen as negatives
1: right you know and i think honestly if so much of their focus has really been on um women's uh participation in the world of career right and it's it's like so it's almost like they only see because they'll talk about toxic masculinity till the cows come home, Mm. right? But at the same time, they seem to want to embrace uh, those traits that they describe as toxic when men do, right? And and at the same time, you know, they they talk, uh, you know, often about how women are more empathetic, which they are, and women are more nurturing, which they are, on average, hashtag not all, Mm. but you know, that's just the way it, it goes in the distribution of traits between, you know, and the, the bell curves and they overlap, sure, but there's a, a lot of distinction, particularly at the far ends. Um, so when you're looking at at these things, when you, and they, they detest the idea of collectivizing aggregate differences, right? So they, they, they love the idea of the collective until it gets in the way of their goals. Because when you look at these distribution curves of, say, temperamental traits and things between men and women, or the way they prioritize, um, they will they will want to obliterate those differences and say there are no differences whatsoever. Gender is com- entirely socially constructed. If we were all raised uh, as you know in a, in the in a gender neutral way. They're, they're, boys and girls would grow up to make the same choices and the same decisions and do the same things and want the same things. And that's just not the case. That's not how things work. Um, some girls will be more like boys. Some boys will be more like girls. But again, uh, you're looking at, um, you know, just to give an example, a, uh, one of the biggest sex differences in personalities and sensitivity. Um, So, uh, essentially, just um, being hurt by people saying hurtful things, right? And surprise, surprise, that's higher in women, Mm. Um, and and it leads to all kinds of differences across all kinds of behaviors and areas of life that women are more sensitive than men are Um, on average, right? But all that means is that a man has to be more sensitive than 85% of men to be as sensitive as the average woman. Hmm. Right, There are distribution curves there. Right. And that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be women with very, very, very thick skins. I happen to be one of them. And uh, so, you know, you can't make judgments about individuals based on those aggregate differences. But what you can do is you can look at population level differences and say, okay, based on these aggregate differences in distribution of these traits and these priorities, Let's look and see what's happening in the world of Fortune 500 C-suite positions, right? And let's see if that is indicative of the general distribution of the traits that lead to those positions or whether it's some kind of bias that's keeping women out or, or whatever, Right. But once you set your sights on men and women are no different or would be no different if they were treated, you know, exactly the same right from the word go, um, you're entering into the world of assuming there is bias at some point in the pipeline from birth to that C-suite. There is you know, negative uh, oppressive bias that's holding women back from those positions. When in reality, it may just be what women are naturally inclined to do. And there's, I'm not making any moral judgments on what's natural being good. Right. Um, What I'm saying is once you decide that the outcomes have to be equal, then you start to have to deal in coercive measures to get the outcomes that you want.
0: That's right. And the whole, the whole enterprise of making that decision, is, I would argue, wrong. And, um, you know, I I think that uh, I was listening to a, pod- a series of podcasts in the New York Times podcast where they did a, a part about how women who are totally into professionalism, they're, they're well to do, they've, they've got high powered careers in Wall Street and in different corporations, they're finding that they're being discriminated against when they have children, even though they intend to work as full time and as full hour and as full attention as men and that they can afford the husband or, or they've got nannies so they can afford to do it. And, and I think that is true. They probably are being discriminated against. But it also begs the bigger question, which is that a large percentage of women who do have careers and who are in the workplace who do have children, they do choose to cut back. You know, they do choose to stay home more. They want flex time. They want to. And I'm, I support that. That's great. But but the thing is that they're not going to be on as fast a track as a man who is working 40, 50 hours and going full speed ahead. It's not, right. it's not because there's a some kind of a conspiracy to to not have equal pay. It's simply because you have to take a look at the equity put into the job. I mean, you know, yeah. the, the years of child rearing and then the woman comes back and wants to rev things up again. She has missed those years where the man who had worked all those years has risen up. So. In a sense, that's just a natural thing. It has to do with choices that people make. And I say that in the context that if a woman does choose to go full speed ahead, that that, uh, that should be also understood.
1: Yes. Oh, no, totally. You know, like I often use uh, my significant other as an example of this. He's He uh, got his engineering degree. <clears throat> He's put in his four years of uh, working in engineering as an EIT engineer in training um, under the supervision of professional engineers, he has finally uh, been able to fill out his application form to get his PNG. Um, and uh, if he is, and it's taken him about six years uh, to accumulate that four years worth of experience of training under the direct supervision of a PNG. And um, so if if a woman who graduated the same year he did took a year off to have a kid should, you know, breastfeeding and burping and changing diapers and going for walks in the park and, you know, reading bedtime stories, should that count towards her ability to get a PN? I don't think so. Right. Right. I, I really don't. And what happens too when, when women do this is that, uh, Other women who have not made that choice, who have stayed in their careers, working full time, building their human capital, right? If we artificially bring women who have taken those breaks from their careers up to the same level, we're actually discriminating against the women who are uh, actually putting in that work that uh, these other women have chosen uh, to not stop necessarily, but to delay, postpone, uh, put to the side, deprioritize. So, you know, it's not just men who are would be treated unfairly. Men who stay in their careers for you know the whole time. It would be the women who have made that choice, also okay. being discriminated against. So,
0: right, and, and obviously there are certain professions that naturally would favor either women or men. <clears throat> and I point to, for example, firefighters. Right. Yeah. I mean, you men have have a have better upper body strength even a moderate uh, average man than most women so if you're in a burning house and you're you've passed out from smoke inhalation you want to have a man there to pick you up and throw you over his shoulder and get you out then you would want to have a woman so i mean these are just it's just the way it goes i mean it's
1: it's not it's not even just that upper body strength too i mean there are a whole host of areas where men perform better physically uh sensitivity to heat or extreme heat or cold men are are better at tolerating that Um, men are better at tolerating uh intense sudden pain than women are women are better at tolerating slow building throbbing pain than men are Um, but uh but that intense sudden pain that you would maybe get when you break your leg you know uh, or put your foot through a floor of a burning building um, men are men. tolerate that better. They have more uh, red corpuscles per liter of blood. They have higher endurance. Um, hmm. They can run faster, you know, yeah. like more, more there's mass. a whole host of metrics on which you can pit men against. It's why we separate the sexes during the Olympics, right?
0: Right. That's right. Good point. And um, I've read something from a historical standpoint about that claims that In the early 19th century, the roles of men and women shifted due to the Industrial Revolution. And that before that time, there was more equality of work and that women and men tended to work together in the early stage of the Industrial Revolution. It was only as things developed that women were encouraged to stay home because they wanted more people, more children, and that men were, it became more of an exclusive purview of men. So that goes to the question of whether or not some of these gender roles might be, um, you know, societally um, encouraged, environmentally encouraged rather than fundamental. What do you think? Well,
1: I think you can go back, you know, 40,000 years and find evidence that the division of labor, at least at, at the very least, in terms of direct hands-on child care, infant care, has always existed um, in humans. So essentially what what the Industrial Revolution did was take work out of the home. Um, you know, farmers mo- you know, when we were a mostly agrarian society um, and you had family farms, of course all of the work was being done by men and women together because most of the work was being done at home. Um, same with if you had a, a medical practice. if you were if you were a male doctor, I guess, and you had a medical practice, everyone in the family, uh, that business would be in your home. And everybody in the family would be contributing to the business. Same with tradesmen. This is why women um, have always been able to take a shortcut as widows um, to uh, essentially carry on a business after their tradesman husband died. So if your husband was a, a butcher um, and he was a master butcher, so he was part of the guild. Um, if he died and you had uh Glean sufficient knowledge of the trade from him, um, you could actually be entered into the guild as a widow and take on apprentices and take on journeymen and keep the business running and be considered a master yourself without having to go through the eight to 10 year long process of, you know, living basically as an unpaid slave in indentured servitude to your master till you were like 17 or 18 and then going on the road as a journeyman traveling from town to town. Um, you wouldn't have to go through that. You could just marry into it and learn the trade um, through your husband and then inherit that business when he died, right? So essentially, you know, we have, and it was because the trade itself was a family business, right? And when when work moved away from the home, um, I think a lot of women, uh, it was a marker of um, your status as a middle class family that the wife could stay home and become the angel of the house. Mm -hmm. And only the man had to go and and outside the home and work. So it wasn't necessarily so much about uh, there being no gendered division of labor. I think that you would find looking back, there was all kinds of gendered division of labor within those family businesses um, and within the households themselves. It was the disentanglement of work from the home itself it seems to have brought about the idea of a stay-at-home mother um, and wife who caters to the needs of, of her husband and her children. So. Right. But
0: I mean, I suppose that a lot of those sort of status aspects have been damaging to women, probably damaging <laughs> to men as well. I mean, in that I, I think of my own grandmother who uh, my grandfather, once they were married, he, she had to quit her job because he didn't like the way it looked. It, it hurt his pride in the community he had to be seen as the breadwinner and she was very depressed about that. So, you know, oh, I
1: can imagine, I can yeah. imagine, you know, my, my grandparents' experience was a little bit different. Um, my grandmother was an older woman who married a younger man, younger enough to raise eyebrows. She was already a career woman. She met him when she was running one floor of a department store. Um, and uh, when they got married, they moved to a small town, Uh, rural community and she took on the job of postmistress and manager of the general store and in the summers he paved roads and in the winters he was a rural mail carrier walking through you know two feet of snow on foot to deliver mail to the farms in the area Mm -hmm. so and that's what they did and she worked right up until retirement age got her government pension uh from Canada Post and and all of that so and raised three kids along the way And it was easy for her to do that because where they lived when she was running that general store and post office, where they lived was an apartment attached to the store. Wow. So. So,
0: yeah. The situation's different. That's interesting. So now we have a situation where our young college students are going back to school and there seems to be in a sense a ramping up of more radical agendas in a lot of different areas. I, Uh, but. In the area of feminism, what's going on now?
1: Oh well, I think right now the ramping up is um, is kind of provoked by the pushback. So essentially, a friend of mine described it as the feminist non-feminist cooperation spiral, where you go inward, inward, inward to the center, and what you what happens is you uh, you the the activated non-feminist sector, I guess, people like me, right? Uh, we say something. Feminists freak out about it. Hmm. Everybody else who's not a feminist notices them freaking out and goes, What's up with these ladies? They're crazy. Right. And then more people leave feminism and come over to our, uh, to the non feminist side, and more non feminists become activated. And then the cycle just continues until eventually the reaction to the, I guess, the provocation is so extreme and so completely out in left field in terms of. You know, what triggered it that you end up with essentially pretty much everybody in society uh, looking at that small group of people who are even more tightly ideologically um, locked in, overreacting to smaller and smaller things. And I think that that's really what's going on right now. And it signals um, hope in my mind uh, that we're going to actually um, break free of this. Like, I see feminism. Uh, as, you know, I would call it patriarchal feminism. So the feminism that believes in all of the theories of patriarchy and rape culture and, you know, violence against women and girls and all of these things, right. And, and assigns a patriarchal cause to them. um, I I think that those are, that group is getting smaller and smaller, but they're also getting more, I guess, uh, locked into their beliefs. Right.
0: And they might, as well, as, as often happens, with actually far left ideologies, they're going to overstep themselves. They're going to overstate their case, and it's going to become more obvious that, that that they're out of step. Now, as far as rape culture is concerned, um, that was brought to my attention recently. I was shown how, you know, movies and and much of our novels, they show you know men as as being good if they're like forcing themselves on women and women enjoying this, that's a problem, no? I mean, what's going on with that?
1: Um, well, I would say if you're wondering where that comes from, I would do a content analysis of romance novels. That's a genre of fiction that's written almost entirely by women, entirely for a female audience uh, readership. And it is the uh, the biggest selling genre of books out there. It beats out all other forms of fiction combined in terms of sales. Um, and it is filled with that kind of thing sure. it is filled with ravishment fantasies and and you know men taking charge and men sweeping women off their feet and tearing their bodices and and all of those things right so you know honestly i i don't i don't know what we're going to do about that when the rape culture that is being argued against by feminists is the primary form of fiction consumed by women I, I just it
0: doesn't encourage, therefore, encourage rape. I mean, I know that, like, for example, I'm an admirer of Ayn Rand. And all of her novels, every sexual encounter is a rape. I mean, it's just that's what she does.
1: Well, but does she, that, does she portray the rapes as good or bad? I mean, good. that's...
0: She portrays them as... I mean, to me, it's, it's a little, I frankly, a little strange. But the, the, that's the woman that finds it pleasurable. I mean, the man forces himself. Mm-hmm. and and this is like a great thing it's a great conquest
1: oh uh, yeah no it's it's like that's that's all over romance novels and you know in the 1980s there was uh, or 90s there was an attempt uh sort of to intentionally by editors to intentionally clean that up and get that out of there and what happened was it didn't go away it went to sort of less obvious uh forms in the mainstream romance community but the the really hardcore stuff um that went uh got got taken up by uh more heavily eroticized subgenres mm. of romance. So, you know, sort of the uh the books that you'd find way in the back of the store. Right. <laughs> you know, and and that that are like forty percent sex by volume.
0: And that probably right? sell a lot better too.
1: Oh, they they sell, you know, like honestly. BDSM right off the shelf. And,
0: you know. <laughs> That's a load of truck up to keep them on. Um but, but, but that doesn't therefore mean that there's, there's an increase in rape, does it?
1: Uh, no, there, rape has been decreasing over time. And it's been okay. decreasing even though our, our definition of what we now consider rape has expanded to encompass things that we didn't really think of as rape before. So we're essentially seeing an expansion of the definition of what constitutes rape and sexual assault but we're also seeing a decrease in, uh, even in community samples reporting their victimization. So, um, yeah, no, rape's been on, on a steady decline since the 1980s in almost all Western countries. And, uh, you've seen, uh, little blips, uh, you know, uh, inc- increases in certain areas where there are certain problem populations, uh, for sure, uh, certain countries, but, um, yeah, no, just in general, Western society or what we would think of Western society, so the group of people who, who uh, I guess, embrace Western values, right, or the people within a country who embrace Western values, yeah. you're seeing yep. it going way, way down. Way down. All
0: right, very interesting. Karen, again, let my viewers and listeners know how to reach you, how to look at your YouTube channel and any other information you'd like to impart
1: well you can find me on Twitter at girl writes what and you can also find me on YouTube also girl writes what it was actually a name a username I chose when I was back when I was writing dirty books for women right um, but uh, and also um yeah you just you can you can check out a voice for Men, uh, check out another podcast that I'm part of